So last week was Easter, so we, we took a break from 1 Samuel. But where we left off a couple weeks ago was from chapter 20, where David leaves his best friend Jonathan, the crown prince, and he, and he finds himself alone. Right? He can't go home to his wife, the princess Michael, uh, because it's probably being watched by Saul's men. So he, he can't go there, and there is probably Gebeah, because that's where Saul lived, so that's probably where it was. And he can't go back to Bethlehem, his own hometown, to his mom and dad and his brothers, because that's probably being watched as well now. So he has not too many options, right? And so... Saul wants him dead, so he's just wandering around the country. And, and I'm going to try to point out all these places that he's running to. Because when we just read it, we just read like, oh, he's going from Nob to Gath to Adullam to Mizbah to Harith. And we don't kind of sense the desperation. But I think when you see kind of where they are on the map and, and how many miles that is, and, and keep in mind that it's not flatland, that this is pretty rugged terrain that he has to travel through, you know, where he's going and stuff like that, that he's really desperate. But what else could he do, right? He's being hunted by a king. It's not that he's being hunted by just like a, another guy, a shepherd or something. He's being hunted by a king, someone who has all the resources in the world to catch him, who has spies everywhere, who has all these resources to get on David. And so we're going to read that some of the things that David did, they just weren't so smart. That you look back at him like, that's a pretty dumb decision. Why did he do that? And that he did things because he didn't know what else to do. He's, he's acting from a point of desperation. And even though he did these dumb things, God never deserts him. But rather, God provides for him. So let's start out in verse 1. Then David came to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came to meet David trembling and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have kept themselves from women... And David answered the priest, Truly women have been kept from us as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. Then David said to Ahimelech, Then have you not here a spear or a sword at hand? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is none but that here. And David said, There is none like that. Give it to me. Nob is northeast, just outside of Jerusalem, where the tabernacle was at the time. And it was, it was the center of their worship. And we read from verse 1 that Ahimelech the priest noticed that something just wasn't right. That he met David trembling. And David needed some things from Ahimelech, but, but he doesn't want to endanger him by getting him too involved and, and knowing what he's actually doing by assisting him to escape from Saul. So he doesn't go into all that detail. So, so David makes some excuses as to why he's alone, why he had nothing on him, including weapons, which, uh, which is really suspicious because this is, this is the captain of the army. You don't have a weapon? Like this, that's your job. 
Right? So, so he ends up getting these provisions, including Goliath's sword, which was there. And here we have David trying to cover up his situation. And verse 7 kind of gives us this foreshadow of trouble by introducing us to a character by the name of Doeg. But here we, we, we have David lying and do what, doing what he can do to, just to survive. Now, if we look at David solely under the, the light of this situation, we're going to get a really poor example of a godly man. Right, Because he's lying, he's just endangering the life of the priest. And you're not going to find a godly example of David here. In fact, that is a place where it's showing us how not to be. Okay? So, but the thing is, is, when we look at the Bible, we shouldn't be looking at the Bible characters as much. Sometimes we focus so much on looking at these human characters. But if we just look at human characters of the Bible, those people will lead us astray. See, those people are sinners, just like you and I, and they will lead you astray. And, you know, to be honest, we we can't be too hard on David here because he's acting out of desperation. And it's not to give David an excuse to his sin and his deception, but let's put ourselves in David's sandals for a moment. Okay? The guy just lost his wife and his entire family. He lost all his friends. He lost his livelihood, the way that he makes money. Um, He lost his home. So before we kind of judge him on his ethics, let's kind of understand where David is coming from, understand kind of his background. He he was really desperate. Really desperate. He, He didn't have too many options. He's being hunted down by a king. And so this is one of the options that he saw that he could, so that he could just simply eat, so that he could simply have a weapon. So rather than looking at at people when we read at scriptures, I think we benefit more by looking at God and what God is doing in the scriptures. It's, it's, It's a book about him anyway, right? So... That's going to be more beneficial to us than kind of concentrating on, on David. So we should be looking at what, what did David receive? What did David receive from God? Well, he received daily bread. Right? He, he received provision. Ahimelech told David that he didn't have anything common, that he, he only had holy bread. He only had the bread of the presence. And in the first compartment of the tent of the tabernacle, there was this, this table. And on this table was this holy bread. And every week the priest would would put 12 loaves of this bread on the table representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And symbolically this was was showing that God will always sustain His people. So all 12 tribes, 12 loaves of bread. And every week after this old bread came off, this warm, fresh bread would take the place of the old bread. So it would smell like Erismendi. And the the bread that, that came off was the bread for the priest to eat. And it was, it was for them. It was specifically for them. That's why Ahimelech asked David if, if he and his men were ritually, if they were ceremonially clean, meaning that they didn't have sex with their wives before, uh, before going into battle or before these missions. So are you guys in that ceremonially clean phase? Otherwise, I can't give you this bread. And so David told them, yeah, I'm ceremonially clean. And so, so David received this bread. So what did God do for David in his desperation? Let's not look at David. Let's look at God. Well, God sustained David with daily bread. Right? David had nothing. 
He had nothing. Where would he get his food? He needed it. He needed that provision. He wasn't being a glutton by asking for five loaves of bread. This is just food that he's, he saw. Or I, I'm going to have it for today. And, and maybe as I travel or start running and hiding, I'll have some there. And so in his desperation, God provided, God provided David his daily bread. And some of you may be thinking, David didn't deserve that. Why, why did he deserve that? He's just going about telling lies, making up stories. He's putting Ahimelech's life in danger. He didn't deserve that provision. But what's new? Because we should ask ourselves, do we? Right? If, we if we justify receiving daily bread from the Lord only when we're spiritually okay, when we're morally okay and, and ethically deserving of it, don't we all deserve to die of starvation? You know, thanks to God for His grace and His mercy toward us. If we're so self-righteous as to think that we can earn the Lord's daily provision, we, we really don't have an idea of how sinful we really are. And so David is provided for, and so this is just pointing to God, how gracious our Lord is, how merciful our Lord is. And the reason why we have this daily bread isn't because we're so godly, but because God is so gracious. And how the Lord provides for us in our, in our desperate situations, whether we're desperate in our finances or in our marriages and our relationships, in our spirituality, or whatever brings us to a point of desperation, you have to ask yourself, did I still eat today? Did I still get a slice of bread? See, God still sees to it that, that we have daily bread. God still provides, even in a small way like that, in the middle of our big problems that He provides there, that even in our most desperate moments, He showed David that, that He was still with him, providing daily bread. Then David heads to Gath. Gath is a, a Philistine city about 25 miles southwest of Nob. It, it's one of the five cities of Philistia. And, and it's obviously outside of... Israel's uh, jurisdiction. So, so do you see how desperate David was in moving from Nob to Gath? He travels 25 miles into enemy territory. In the heart of it. Not even on the outskirts of it. In the heart of it. That he thought there was nowhere else he could go. That he had to go into enemy territory. And that's desperate. So let's read verses 10-15 through 15 because in those verses I think we're going to see praise. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Akish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Now, who, who was from Gath? Do you guys remember who was from Gath? A really prominent character just a few chapters before. Goliath. Right, Chapter 17, verse 4. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath. So David did just show up with himself. He shows up with Goliath's sword. The very sword that he used to hack Goliath's head off with is with him. So now, what's that all about? He's already killed their hometown hero. 
Right? And, and here, is he there to rub it in their face? Like, look, this very sword that I used to hack off his head. I have it. I don't know what he's thinking at all. I can only attribute it to desperation. That he didn't know what else to do, didn't know where else to go. That this is just what the, the priest happened to have as a weapon. And I think as he showed up there, he was like, oh shoot. Like, I killed that guy with this thing, right? So, I mean, did he really think that he was going to be received well by, by killing their champion? You know, the pride of Gath. So do you see how desperate David was? And, and how his decisions just don't make sense? And how our, our decisions, when we're desperate, sometimes we, we, we mess up pretty bad. And perhaps David thought that, that they'd be happy to see him and say like, hey, that's the guy that's been leading that military. Maybe he, he's going to join us and, and turn the tables and, and we'll be able to start winning. And, and you know, yay! No, right? The, the people of Gath, they knew who David was. They, they heard that pop song that went platinum about him, right? They, David struck his ten thousands. They heard it. They know that song. He's this well-known warrior. Defeated them over and over again. He's the guy that cut 200 foreskins from their soldiers just so that he could marry one of Saul's daughters. You think they forgot about that? Some of those guys, those were their brothers. Those were their fathers. Those were cousins, uncles. You think they forgot about that? So people were telling Akish, that fool killed your people. No way. right? And then David finally realized... I'm not welcome here. What am I going to do? So he puts on this Academy Awards performance, right? He starts tagging the doors of their gates. I think David would fit really well here in Oakland. So, so first his song, right? David struck his ten thousands. It goes platinum. And then he gets all thug and he starts tagging their gates like a and then David wins this Oscar for, for fooling the king with his act. And, and, and he escaped. And then Akish told his guys... Man, get rid of this guy so, so David, David gets away. So you might ask, how is that praise? How is there praise in that? Well, he did a really stupid thing by showing in Gath, didn't he? I mean, that, that's dumb. That's like someone here in a gang showing up in a rival gang's territory after you killed a bunch of their guys, after you killed kind of like their main, their, their, their head guy, the, the guy that everyone looks up to, and then you're showing up there and you, you, you bring your can, you spray their name out, you put your thing and whatever, and you're like, hi, oh yeah, here's the gun that I shot your guys with. And it was his. Like, it just doesn't happen. That's dumb, right? That's not bright. But then David pulls off this pretty clever move by, by acting kind of dumb. Acting insane. And he probably thought it was a good idea at first when he was going there. He's like, yeah, uh, yeah, they'll accept me. Uh, um, they'll accept me. Oh, they are not. And so now what do I do? Um, right? And so well, he, he, so, so I, I kind of wonder, like, what, what, did, what was he thinking? Like, oh, man. Oh, this is not working out. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> right? And so... So this is the stuff that the Psalms are made of. Right? And you check out Psalm chapter 56, 1 through 4. To the choir master, according to the dove on far off terebinths, a miktam of David when the Philistines seized him in Gath. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. 
When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? You'll read that psalm there and you notice that he doesn't put the emphasis on himself. He didn't praise his, his quick thinking. He didn't praise how good of an actor he was or, or anything like that, how clever he was. His confidence is in God, not in his own giftings. Not in how he pulled himself out. He put his trust in God and so to God be the glory for this. Or how about Psalm chapter 34? Of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, a.k.a. Akish, so that he drove him out and he went away, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. And so you see how David, he, he's driven to praise. He's driven to worship. And instead of reading this entire psalm, I just want to point out the verses that have the word all in them. And now keep in mind that this is, this is reflecting on, on what David has been going through as being one that is hunted. So now keep that in mind. And we're just, we're just going to read from that psalm, Psalm chapter 34, the verses that have the word all in them. Verse 4, I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Verse 6, This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Verse 17, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Verse 19, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Verse 20, He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. If you were to hear praise for for David being clever... Or, or if you were to shower David with praise for, for being clever, for being fast on his feet or whatever, he, he, would, have, he would have told you, you know what, I, I was scared. I, I, I panicked. I had no idea what I was doing. I did a dumb thing. But praise the Lord for His deliverance from that, even though I, I foolishly set myself up for that. But praise God, He delivered me. And even in our most desperate moments, God doesn't let go of His servants, even though His servants sometimes make really dumb decisions. He doesn't let them go. Even when we make these poor decisions, God still provides for us. And He gives us these ways out that gives us this material stuff that that the Psalms are made of. And and we, we have reason to praise Him. We have reason because even in our poor decisions, He showers us with His mercy. He showers us with His grace. And He delivers us out of our foolishness. That even in our desperation, there's reason to praise God. Now after Gath, David heads to Adullam, which are in the west lowlands of, of Judah, and then they face Philistia, and it's about 10 miles east of Gath. So you see this guy just going, boom, 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 he's going everywhere. Right? And, and, and it's 12 miles west of Bethlehem, uh, David's hometown. So there, there are a bunch of these caves in Adullam. And some of these caves, they're, they're, they're pretty big. I mean, caves like this, like this whole sanctuary could fit in that cave. And, and within there, there's like little mini caves where you can kind of hide. And some of these caves are all of us. Can we, we can just sit there and lounge there with our, with our flat screen TVs and our lazy boys. Big caves. Electrical outlets and everything. So, so here, in these next few verses, we're going to see God's providence. Chapter 22, verses 1 through 4. 
David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Here we see that uh, David's family, they made it to Mizpah. So from Adullam, and then now they're going to Moab. The other side... Of the Dead Sea. See, they couldn't stay in, in Bethlehem because Saul, Saul would have probably taken his anger out on them because he couldn't find David. And not only did David's family head over to Mizpah, but so did a bunch of these people who were in distress and in debt and bitter in soul. And he became captain over them, 400 of them. And it's just such an awesome way to start off a community, isn't it? A bunch of malcontents, distressed, in debt people, and all this stuff. It's just like starting a church. And I don't think that these were the type of people that practiced like social graces and stuff like that. Oh, please pass the salt. Like these weren't these type of people. These weren't like the edifying, encouraging people. Like, good job, David. They're like, David, you stink. Like, but we still want to follow you. And so, so I think it speaks really highly of David's leadership ability, right? He's able to bring these discontent, distress, in debt people, all these people that probably few people want to work with, and he brings them together. Now, now, what about David's parents? They're probably elderly at this time. They probably couldn't run and hide very well, right? Mom and pop's like pretty old. Like, they could, like hurry up, run over here. Right? And so, so David had to make this provision for them. And so he, he left them in Moab. And so Moab is, is east of the Dead Sea. And, and it's not an easy journey. It's not like they could sail across, right? They have to kind of go around. And so David went before the king of Moab to ask the king to care for his parents, to give, give them asylum while, while God sorted things out. And now why, why would the, the king of Moab even consider granting asylum to David's parents? Why would he even think about that? One of the reasons is, possible reasons, is that the, the king was just looking at, uh, like, oh, it's against Saul? Cool, I hate that guy. Go ahead, come here. Maybe. Maybe that's why. I personally think that it's God's providence. God's providence. And you might ask, how? How how can that be God's providence? Well, you have to look at generations before. Generations before, David had this great-grandmother named Ruth, right? Who was a Moabite. And you read in chapter 4 of Ruth. Naomi was Ruth's mother-in-law. And so it kind of goes up before then. And, And so she helped... Ruth hook up with this guy Boaz, this, this just magnificent looking man. And so Boaz was this rich farmer, and, and Ruth and Boaz had this son named Obed, and, and Obed had a son named Jesse, and Jesse is David's dad. And so there's this connection to Moab as Ruth, David's great-grandmother, was a Moabite woman. So, so the king granted this asylum that there was enough of an in, there was enough of a connection so that, so that David could work something out with the king of Moab to provide the safety for his parents. So let's take a look at, at how David became Ruth's great-grandson. So Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, her life just fell apart. Like, it, it, it was bad. Now let's just read Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 to get a glimpse of this. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. 
And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years. And both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So you see how tragic it was for Naomi. She, she left her land because of famine. So they uprooted the entire family and they go into this foreign land and then she loses her husband. And so widows at the time, it wasn't like they had life insurance. It wasn't like they were provided for. She had to depend on her two sons now. And then they died. So where is she now? She's totally destitute. And so after reading that, you have to wonder, what type of fruit can that tragedy possibly bear? We might have no clue as to what we're, we're going through during our tragedy because the fruits from our current tragedies might not come to fruition until generations later. We might not know why we go through what we do, but it's for the benefit of future generations. So what happened to David and his parents was 150, 200 years later from what was happening to Naomi and Ruth back in the book of Ruth. 150, 200 years later. And it was a fact that Naomi's life was falling apart. Right? She, she, went, she went with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, back to Bethlehem in Judah. And Ruth married this guy Boaz, and they had Obed. And from him they had Jesse, and from him they had David. And Naomi's life was pretty, pretty tough. Pretty tough that time and going through this stuff and wondering what was going to happen. Destitute woman. And she had this really tragic life for a while, but he eventually got restored. And then generations later, the family connection would, would come around again to Moab. Now who would have ever thought that Moab, this, this cursed land, would, would ever come back into the picture to help them out several generations later? Who would ever think that the tragedies that Naomi experienced would enable her future generations to survive what they were going to go through? Now, doesn't this help us look at the book of Ruth a little differently now? Doesn't this help us see that Naomi's problems, that um, there was a purpose in all of them, that that perhaps there there was something there um, for preservation of future Generations that includes the, the lineage of Jesus Christ? That even in moving away from her homeland in Moab to escape famine, witnessing her husband die, witnessing her two sons die, experiencing poverty, experiencing loneliness to where it brought her back to Judah. But from Moab came Ruth, Naomi's daughter-in-law, who wouldn't leave her. And, and, he, and she accompanied Naomi in her destitution, in her poverty, and returned to Judah where, where they would meet Boaz. And then Boaz happened to be a relative of the family, and they, and they happened to get married, and they had Obed, and they had Jesse, and then David, and Naomi's suffering, her distress, her grief. It all has a totally different light to it now, doesn't it? And at that time, there was no way for her to realize that, that she would have a role in preserving her family line. She didn't think about that. She was probably thinking about, where, how am I going to eat? 
providence. It's not something that David did. David wasn't like this political ambassador, like I have the skills to to talk to the king of Moab and get safety for my parents. I am great. But that's not David. This was all God. It was God's doing, God's providence from Naomi and Ruth, generations before, 150, 200 years before. And in our desperation, God is there in prov- with His providence. That, that there are reasons as to why things happen, and sometimes we won't even live to see it, to see the fruit of why we go through what we do. But it should give us comfort that, that God hasn't forgotten about us. It, even in our desperate times, God does not forget about us. So, so we see that, that David's this desperate man without a home. He's running from place to place to place to place. But there's hope and there's prophecy. And we're going to see that in verse 5, chapter 22. Then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. Like, what? You want me to go back into enemy territory? You want me to go back there? You're nuts. Right, but but what's so important about this verse here? What's so? Why does this provide hope? Why? Wh- what's so important about Gad? Who is he? Why, why does he appear here? What's so significant about his instructions to David? Well, Gad is a prophet, right? So so the important thing about the prophet Gad was that he's a prophet. That's what's important. Right? David has guidance from a prophet of God. David has guidance from someone who's hearing from God to tell him what to do. David has a prophetic word directing him as to what to do. Even if it's to t- enemy territory, it's still from the word of God. That is the best thing. Right? And while Dave, David has God directing him, Saul doesn't. Remember the Lord departed from Saul a few chapters back? And let's read ahead uh, 1 Samuel chapter 28, verse 6. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dream or by Urim or by prophets. Saul didn't have any direction from God, but David did. That's the important part of this verse. That's the hope in this verse, that he has direction from God. He has guidance from God. So David was given this way to to care for his loved ones by placing them in Moab. And he was given this way out for himself, directed by God to go to Hereth. And you're like, so what? What does this mean for us? How is that important to me? Well, I think that some of us might be in some tough places in our life. Maybe even tragic. Maybe really, really bad. Desperate. And some of us may be facing these desperate times now or, or we're going to face them in the future. But, it, but if we have the light of God's Word and the direction from God's Word, things aren't as dark as we think they are or that they will be. We have His Word. We have the light of God's Word and His direction providing us hope. It's right there in front of you in that pew, that burgundy thing. That we are not forgotten by God. God is still speaking. He's still directing His people. And we won't necessarily have this prophet give us this divine direction just right there face to face, firsthand. But we do have the prophetic word of Scripture. The Bible, God's word. When, when we are steeped in our, in our tribulations, our trials, we have God's word that provides us direction, guidance, comfort, peace, hope. And when we're in the thick of our mess, 
we know that God hasn't abandoned us. We have the light of the Word. We have the, the Word of God, the light. He's near. Right? And maybe some will come up to us like Gad did to David and tell us to, to go somewhere. And it doesn't make sense. Maybe that'll happen. I don't know. Maybe it'll be so precise. But, but even if we don't, we have the prophecy and God's direction from His Word. We, we have the Word of God. Elizabeth Elliot uh, was a frequent visitor of the church that I, I came from. And she, she's a mentor of my pastor's wife. And I, I've had the pleasure of speaking with her a few times. When she was asked how she came through being a widow after her husband Jim Elliot was killed in Ecuador for trying to witness to these, these different tribes, and she lost several friends there, and, and she replied, it was because of the Scriptures. It was because of the Scriptures. And she didn't mean that she understood the concepts of the Bible more. She didn't mean that she gained more understanding of doctrine. What she meant was that in her time of suffering, in her time of distress, she sought God's speech to His people in the Scriptures. And in her circumstances, she heard God speaking to her. And in God speaking to her, she knew that He was near. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 27, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. In our times of trial, in our times of distress, read God's Word. That's, that's your light out. It's not as literature, but as God speaking to you. As God's speech to you. Because as we hear His voice, we'll know He is near. And we have prophecy. We have God's Word that sustains us. And what we have in the Bible are the, are the transcripts of our Master's speech. And God holds us up in our desperation. And sometimes He does it quietly. And sometimes we read the Word in our distress and in our desperation and it doesn't sound like God is speaking to us at all or, or it's so faint that you can't even understand what's going on. And perhaps God's provision is simply just a slice of bread for you that day to nibble on. Perhaps God's deliverance will be recognized after you get out of a, a, a tight squeeze making a really foolish decision like visiting a gaff and then like, whoo, how did I get out of that one? Maybe it'd be that. Maybe it's something, it's like, like God orchestrating something that you won't know while you're alive, but it, it is for your family in the future. Maybe it's that. Maybe something is going to come into your life and, and someone's going to come directly to your life and speak something directly to you from God. All of that stuff, all of them possibilities. Right? And all of it is there for us in our times of trouble, in our times of panic, desperation, suffering, confusion. And David's trouble is very much like someone I hope all of us know is our shepherd. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. Jesus understood exactly David's troubles. He understands ours as well. And if you don't know Jesus as your shepherd, you, you have an opportunity to, to recognize His voice, to, to have Him near you. And if you don't know Him as your shepherd, would you please pray with me? Jesus, I, I desire to know You. I desire to have You in my life because uh, there are going to be times that I'm desperate. 
whether it's now or in the future. And I would like to be able to recognize your voice and know that you're near. And I pray, Lord, that you would come into my life, that you would this moment just start speaking to me. And I don't know all the details of Christianity, and I don't know all the details of, of what it takes. But at this moment, I speak in faith that, that you would uh, begin that journey with me to, to kind of figure things out. Now, if you prayed that prayer, there, there are some next steps to take. And one of those steps is getting in touch with me or the person that brought you here or a staff person here, whether by email or just coming up uh, for prayer or something like that. And I would like to give you the Word of God. I would like to give you the Scriptures. And in that, we can kind of go through the next steps of what's going to happen next and, and kind of go, to the, go on this journey together. And I'd like to have you meet some folks. Now, if you're someone that has already accepted the Lord and he, Jesus is your shepherd and you've kind of fallen away and you're in these desperate times, I kind of want to give you some hope in that he's, he's near and that you can open the Scriptures and have Him speak to you and that He's not very far. And I also invite you to come up uh, after the worship set because uh, we'll have prayer up here for you and we want to pray for you. And during these next few worship songs, we have communion elements uh, in the aisles here and up front. And it's symbolic of the Lord's body broken for you. And it's symbolic of His blood spilled for you so that you can have a communion with a holy God, a relationship with a holy God for His sacrifice that He made so that you can have that relationship. And as you get things right with God and you get things right with your fellow men, that you kind of uh, go through that process of of asking God uh, what things you need to kind of reconcile before you come up and take those communion elements. But after all that's done and with the worship, uh, feel free to come up at any time during those songs.